0: Okay. Any questions, thoughts, or anything from this morning? Um, oh, which number? Um, it's under one F. One F. Ah, again. They tried to arrest him. Again, they tried to arrest him. Okay. Anything else? Don. Okay. What? Number two. two. Uh, Jesus avoids the Jews' attacks. Anything else? Going once, going twice. Okay. Okay, any, any questions from, from this text, or we can go down some of the many rabbit holes? Um, Timothy, and then Carol. <coughs> bang, bang.
1: Uh, just, just the parallels between the works that Christ did and um, to prove His deity, and our response to that, and then kind of the the idea that like faith without works is dead. Like, I don't know. I guess it's just kind of an interesting parallel that in in both ways, the working out of things is is significant. Uh, it's not that the miracles that He performed is he's God in spite of, or in addition, or you know, right. outside of being able to do those miracles and our salvation isn't right. based on our works, but they both have an impact to the
0: non-believers and, right. and to just show be evidence of, of those things. Right, our, well, and, and I, I emphasize this morning on Jesus' miracle works, but the text has already made it clear his works extend beyond that back in chapter nine. We must work the works of Him who sent me, which would include bringing the blind man to faith, which would also, I think, include picking a fight with the Pharisees. So Jesus' works would would include His signs and miracles, but they wouldn't be limited to that. It would be all this man said or did. I mean, in, in that sense, John is given a, John's gospel is unique in a number of ways, but not the least of which that the other gospels have lots of little bite-sized chunks a saying, a parable, an interaction. The shortest chunk we've got is um, either Jesus in the temple or Jesus with the nobleman's son. And what we get far more often are like chapter long chunks, um, whole long vignettes, scenes, um, and interactions. And so Jesus' works are put far more on display. John's got just a handful. I mean, most people count six or seven significant signs in the entire gospel. Luke's got dozens, if you add them all up, and, but yet far more text on each one. So John's looking at a few things in much greater detail, and so we get to see Jesus works. And then John tells us at the end of his gospel that he handpicked these signs so that we might come to believe Jesus is the Son of God, and that by having faith, might have life in his name. So John has really handpicked these examples um, and so from John's gospel's point of view, Jesus' works would be everything he says and everything he does. And his point is everything I say and every, And this, if you go back to John chapter 5, is part of what Jesus insists about what he means by being one with the Father is he does nothing that he doesn't see his Father doing. And so he is the image of the Father because he adds or, and subtracts nothing that whole rest of chapter 5 is built upon that. So he's insisting not just you take a simple statement that he says, but the entire package of what he says, what he does, the works he does, the, the deeds he performs. And, and, and I, think, I think what I'm getting at from you is, in the same way, our lives we live need to match up with the confessions we make. Jesus doesn't expect anyone to put a lot of credence on what he says apart from what he does. And we know that from James we can say God is one you do well even the demons do and tremble does our life comport with that confession as well so so Jesus is emphasizing the unity between what he says and what he does and insists that they deal with that as a whole piece and the same goes true for us that the, the danger of saying one thing and doing another thing is always perennial is that what you were getting at or am I okay okay yeah yeah okay Carol so I, if you uh, made contact with that Jehovah's Witness guy again yeah. or another guy like him <laughs> or oh, another was, it was a, Another guy like him who had the same uh, question and argument, can you put what you said your answer was in like a nutshell? Sure. And, and, you know, if you were going to rebuff someone in uh, two minutes, how sure. would you? I would, I would having a much having a much clearer understanding of John's gospel at this point. I'd say in this instance, Jesus is simply making the point that they cannot legitimately charge him with blasphemy simply because he says, "I am the Son of God." Um, that is his sole point. He's trying to show them that they are being unrighteous. Their judgment is not right, and he's highlighting that and that. Even in the whole, the Father dwells in me, and I in the Father. These are some massive statements. He's he is saying things, but no, in this one instance, he's making that one point. So no, he's not denying being equal with God. I, I'd go back to John five to the same people. He makes himself equal with God. The, the text says it repeatedly. John's not contradicting himself. So the the short answer is what he's doing here is showing them. You, you're trying to you're trying to selectively deal with. One piece of evidence. You're ignoring my works, you're ignoring my signs, you're ignoring everything else, and you're camping out on, he says he's the Son of God. Okay, strictly speaking, what's wrong with that? Strictly speaking, how does that constitute blasphemy? Because Psalm 82 6 has Scripture call mortal men gods and sons of the Most High. So I'm in bounds. I'm in textual bounds. And that's the sole point he's making there. and that back in eight, before Abraham was, I am, is such an unamb, like, that is such a clear statement to anyone who's read Exodus three and the account of the burning bush that either John's contradicting himself or something else is going on. And I don't think John's contradicting himself, but, but I, it, it, it silenced me at first because I recognized the point. Why doesn't he, simply put the answer, why doesn't Jesus say yes, exactly? because they will, they will take Son of God to mean something like, and this is, this is current today, most Muslims, um, at least of the uneducated variety, who don't, I mean, uneducated as regards to Christianity, they think we're tritheists. Now they think our Trinity is God, the Father, Jesus, and Mary. Um, a lot of street Muslims think that, and so part of what you gotta do is, is insist on defining the terms, which is why it can be problematic. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? if i was asked that by a muslim i might want to say well hold on let me tell you what i mean because what i don't want them to hear is i think there's many gods but jesus does the exact same thing in chapter five so part of the issue here is he's not just going to give them their sound bite he, he 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 will own up to these terms if he gets to define his categories and define what he means so even here i'm in the father the father's in me we indwell each other yes that that He's, he's unpacking what he means by that. They just want the sound bite. You said you're God. Gotcha. And so he's not, he's not playing that game. I don't know if that's, that's not a 20-second answer, but it's it's, it's a, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I know, Don. I know. I know. Um, okay. Oh, go. I, I was just going to say, people people like the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they come with, obviously, what they already believe and have cherry-picked different things to support it, so yeah, they have preconceived ideas. I mean, there's so many places we can argue the deity of Jesus, but I I still marvel at John 8, before Abraham was, I am. And then the text tells us how they took it, so it's not like, well, what does he mean? Like, we know what he means. But it's not just even saying, I'm God. The person who revealed himself at the burning bush, me. Like that's such a clear statement, um, because they'll they'll try to argue Greek grammar. in the first verse in the beginning was the word the word was a god, and I can tell you that's bad. But you, if you don't know Greek, it's just which authority you get. So so set that aside. But so many times in John's gospel, well, even just even the next few verses of chapter one, all things that came into being came into being through him. There's not a thing that has come to be that was not made by him. So then you gotta decide Jesus is either made or unmade. If Jesus is made, what were all things made by? Him, which means then he's self existent. If he's not made, he's eternal. Either way, he's God, right? Um, so you can you can just going finding multiple places to show the deity of Christ, because what I what I learned from this guy is if you if you've if you got one if you got one text and he's got an answer for it, have a dozen texts for the deity of Jesus. Um, because it is so clearly taught in Scripture. Instead of arguing over one thing, because their translation puts a "the" in, and you know, um, just go to the next one, and then go to the next one, and go to the next one, and go to the next one, and go to the. Ne- I mean, at the end of John's Gospel, Thomas falls at Jesus' feet, my, my Lord and my God. You know. Um, like there's so many examples in John's Gospel alone that uh, you can just okay fine you you want to argue about John one one fine what about this one okay what about this one what about this one, um, going on and on and on and on, so, yeah, yes Chris, so leaping off of that to uh, Psalm
2: eighty two, mm. uh, so I get I get the usage in John and why he would refer to it but I'm curious what we make of Psalm 82 when he says that, are we looking at option A, it's
1: sarcasm like in the book of Job, you know, rise up and tell me you were around when I created the world, right? Your years are so long. You know, it's sort of a biting, you guys
2: are gods, right? But I'm still going to destroy you. Um, or is it? Is there something serious to it, like you're acting in my proxy on earth as God, but
0: I'm revoking that authority right now? There's, uh. there's some debate over that. I tend to think that second one, that be, by virtue of the, Israel's religious and political leaders functioning properly are God's representatives on earth. That in Psalm 2, in the first instance, is what it means that Solomon is David's son. So today I've begotten you, you're my father. In the Davidic Covenant, um, the, the notion is that when the Davidic king is is reigning rightly, he is God's regent on earth, and then therefore his representative, his son on earth. Um, so if these are Israel's judges, then there is both sarcasm and truth to it. You should be God's; you should be sons of the Most High. But I'm going to kill you all because you're you're corrupt. Like there's there's a sort of this is what you ought to be. You ought to be this and I will refer to you as this and then I'll cut you down Um, something like that but there is some debate there's some people that think this is referring to angels I don't think that fits that well Um, I I tend to think more than tend to think I I would hold to this is referring to Israel's corrupt religious and political judges and leaders so um, good question but yeah okay Don Jesus made the plea to evaluate his works. Well, uh, it would seem that the, the Pharisees, uh, the, the, the rulers, uh, did evaluate them. They but they evaluated them incorrectly. So, on what basis do we evaluate God, Christ, Christ's works? Sure. Well, Jesus Jesus makes the claim. Go to chapter seven. Um, I don't I don't believe they did evaluate his works. I think they studiously ignore them because they have no answer to them. And even in eleven, they say this man does many signs. What can we do? They 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 have no explanation other than the, other than the attempt to blame him on a demon, which which part of them would do. But even that didn't work. The demons, demons generally hurt people. They don't generally give blind people their sight. I mean, even even amongst them, there was, that lie didn't. Sell entirely because a, a counter group within them said Are these not these aren't the works of a demon. Do demons open the eyes of the blind? Part of part of what I was getting is Jesus isn't just doing powerful signs. He's doing powerful signs that ought to, if you know the Father, remind you of Him. He's not. I mean, He could just make a big fireball. I mean, He could just make a big blinding light, and it could be powerful and shocking. But not just is he doing powerful signs, he's doing powerful works he sees his father doing. And the whole argument is if you are a student of my father in his word, you'll recognize what I'm doing is of one cloth and one kind with that. So they they don't have an explanation for his miracles and signs. And they're eventually, because they have no explanation for them, good Try to put a hit out on him because of Lazarus. Once he raises Lazarus, he's got to die. Why? We, he does these signs and we got nothing to say about him. And so he's going to eventually, Rome's going to come in and take us all out. So we're going to take him out first. But in chapter 7, 17, Jesus says, um, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. And then jump down to verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So Jesus invites right judgment on himself. And that would mean consistent with antecedent scripture. So in this instance, what does the law of Moses, what does the Old Testament and the prophets, the former and latter prophets, what did they predict? What standard of evidence do they require? What type of character and works are required? evaluate that. Does Jesus meet the criterion? One of the reasons why I've been highlighting, is this not the prophet like Moses? That's one of the, so God's going to raise up a prophet from among your brothers, like me. Okay, so first of all, is Jesus one of the, those among your brothers? Is he an Israelite? Yes, he is. We could ask, is he of the right tribe? Is he, yes, he's of Judah. Um, which, when Jacob prophesied over his bed on his staff, the scepter shall not depart from Judah till he comes to whom tribute is due. Um, and we, so we could go through, was he born in the right town? Yes, he's born in Bethlehem. So there's, there's a number of prophetic predictions Jesus has to meet the requirements of. Then um, the Messiah is going to be anointed and he's going to work mighty signs. This is the argument he gives to John the Baptist disciples. They, they, they come to him. There's, there's massive authority. They come to Jesus because John's in jail. This isn't what they expected. And they said, are you the Messiah or should we wait for another to come? And Jesus doesn't explain what's going on. He simply says... What do you see? We see you healing the sick and the blind and the lame. Yeah, go tell John that. <laughs> Which is to say, no, you, you, I am the Messiah. No explanation for why John's in jail. Just, nope, you did your math right. But that's holding up to the standard of, say, Isaiah. Um, and we looked at some of those passages last week. And ultimately, the, the sin-bearing aspect, what, what they ultimately are going to trip up on is the suffering Messiah. But when we see the Messiah has come, um not in power and pomp and majesty and not in his first coming but come as a suffering servant to die on the cross then i think we see the whole i mean that becomes the the center point of the entire revelation that we can see plainly and clearly he will come in power he will come in glory but he came like this so i would hold those things up i'd add to that um that jesus words are of one with the words of God in Scripture. And the words of God in Scripture are of one with the revelation of God in the created order. So um, when we did a series a decade ago on inerrancy, one of the things I believe the Bible claims about itself is that it's self-authenticating, that Scripture testifies to itself. How does that work? Well, it works because God is testifying to himself in creation so Psalm 19 day into day pours forth speech night to night reveals knowledge there is no sound there is no language their voice is not heard Romans 1 um, for what can be seen and known about God is evident to them for since the creation of the world His eternal attributes have been clearly perceived so we have a knowledge of God around us in creation and the scripture uses linguistic categories and I, I don't mean like little you hear something but it's using the category of language Then we read scripture, and it's the same voice. It's the same voice speaking. It's why you can recognize the voice of your president or a senator or some long dead, you can recognize the voice of John F. Kennedy. Because once you know the voice, you know the voice, and you hear it on the commercial, you hear it on the radio, you know exactly who it is. Um, that's the same argument. When Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, which is partly why Jesus insists, look, if you know the Father, you're to know me. And why you can tell the Pharisees, I know you don't know the Father because you don't know me. So that's part of Jesus' entire argument is because I, I don't innovate, I do nothing but what I see my Father do. And yet I, because I see all that my Father does, I'm able to perfectly imitate what he does. If you know the Father, you know me. This is what he's going to say to Thomas. Thomas is going to say, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Thomas, have I been with you this long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, what do you mean? I, I add and I subtract nothing in my character, my actions, and my being. So along those lines is how I'd evaluate Jesus. Um, and I think how Jesus is inviting evaluation. Did you want to go more with that, or, or is that good? Okay, yeah. Um, And and the promise in 717, I think, stands. What What it means is there is no person who genuinely wants to be at peace with God, who genuinely wants to be reconciled with God, who is going to be stopped because of a lack of credulity. I've said this before. It is not a lack of credulity that stops people from coming to Jesus. Or to put it another way, there are not people who would have come to Jesus had it only been that they had more compelling evidence. So Jesus is saying right here in John 7, 17, if it is the case for anybody, I want to do God's will. Should I look here or should I go to Islam? Should I look here or should I go to Hinduism? Should I look here or should I go to Jehovah Witnesses? Whatever. They will, Jesus, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching, and in this case it's Jesus' teaching, is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So that's a promise. When I when I witness when I talk to people, look, God has promised that if, if all you want to know is is this where I go to be right with God or I go somewhere else, then read his word. He 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 guarantees that he'll validate it. I don't I don't need to I mean I can answer questions, and I can give whatever defenses I can, but it doesn't hinge upon me and it doesn't hinge upon you. God promises that he'll validate his word. Um, so th- th- that should take a load off, but anyway, it, it, there are no people going to hell who would have come to Christ if only they'd had some better answers. Or to, to make you feel most at peace, your are and my bad answer can't damn anybody. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd never get to sleep at night. Man, if only I'd said X instead of Y. If only I'd said B instead of A. <gasps> they, you know, they wouldn't have rejected Jesus. No, no, that, that's never to be the decisive factor now one one to me if I'm unfaithful Woe one to me if if I if I don't have answers when I should have answers but that's along a different line it's not that person's eternal destiny is going to be resultant because I fubbed but I'm going to give an account as a servant who's either faithful or unfaithful and so that's that axis okay um, questions on any of that and I'm ignoring a whole half of the audience over here so Say hi. Okay, any other, anything on any of that? We've, we've covered a lot of heavy stuff, and you guys are just looking at me, which always makes me nervous. Um, okay, Adam, go.
1: So you said the Jews, you know, they weren't looking at Jesus' works, right? They weren't taking a holistic view Correct. of what Jesus was doing, but kind of to, they don't really, really, I think you've made the case, deserve the benefit of the doubt, right? They don't seem to be legitimate right. with their questioning, but you know if they did have a point of true contention right a point of real sin a point of this is incorrect teaching I mean they wouldn't be wrong to hammer on no. that point and say to conclude maybe yes these were demonic works or Jesus is a prophet and is now fallen no. away, something like that No, right?
0: no G- Jesus says as much if somebody shows up and says the father has sent me and he is in me and I am in him and I claim the rights to do whatever the father does those are massive claims now I think Jesus' point simply here is even there you've got to ask him what he means because even that technically is what could be within bounds. And Jesus says, look, if I don't do the works of my father, don't believe me. So he is not simply showing up saying, take my word for it, guys. I'm the son of God. Um, he is doing works that are meant to testify, and that should, that should be a conundrum for them. I mean, I mean you start with what Nicodemus freely admits representing the Jews. No one can do the works you do unless God is with him. So now we know in Deuteronomy, right after I'll raise a prophet up for you like Moses, if somebody comes and they work signs, but they do not have this teaching. So there is, is anything Jesus saying inconsistent with the Old Testament? That'd be another basis on which to condemn him. But Jesus is readily willing and competent to argue scripture with anybody who wants to do it. And again and again, especially in the other gospels, they they give up and stop. So no one's got a, a textual argument with him. They just don't like the implications of who do you make yourself out to be. And then they just hang their hat on that. So, no, you're absolutely right. If, if, if he was saying things contrary to scripture, the right thing to do would be to reject them. And if he was saying, take my word for it without authenticating what he's saying, the right thing to do would be to reject him. He says that as much. If I testify concerning myself only, my testimony is not true. He freely admits that. So Jesus does not just show up and say, take my word for it. Um, it's the whole package deal and that's why they're not dealing honestly with them because they got no answer to his miracles none and they need to have one they need to be able to explain what's going on is is that going where you're going or i I think it is um and i mean maybe more practically for us what i
1: kind of think we want to guard against is you know i think we'd say well you know anybody today is fallible they're sinful right but you know, I don't think we want to ever think about that holistic view of like, well, this is a great preacher and he's done a lot of great stuff. And then there's like one point of teaching that we should be able to look and say, well, that's just wrong, right? Like, Correct. You know, hopefully that's a brother in Christ
0: who's just mistaken.
1: But right. Right, right. whatever the case is, right, we don't want to go, well, you know, we can't really speak against that because... Look at, the, look at their whole life, right? No,
0: no. Well, the difference is Jesus is claiming to be God, which means there can't be error. Once you accept the claim, once, he, once you acknowledge he's made, he's brought compelling evidence, now you do, Jesus now, for those of us who hear his voice, does reserve the right to simply say, because I said so. In other words, the evaluation period is the evaluation of, is this the Son of God and the Messiah? Once that question's answered, he does not invite consistent evaluation of everything else he says he has he'll he'll say in in chapter 15 look uh i no longer call you slaves but friends why a slave just gets told what to do but i'm going to tell you what to do and i'm going to give you some insight into why so it's not as though at every point moving forward when our lord says do this we go well let me size that up and evaluate that there is there's a genuine evaluation of is this the son of god no human teacher, discipler, pastor, elder is making that claim. I certainly am not. So um, I think it would be right for you. Part of why we do this ABF is at every point of my teaching, there's a sense of size it up, test it, push back, weigh it. Um, and just because I you thought I was right in what I said last week doesn't mean give me a pass this week because I'm not claiming to be God. Now, If somebody, if Jesus showed up and you believed he was God, then you wouldn't be right in testing him every week beyond that. But no human beings in that category. So no, you're absolutely right. Just because someone was faithful in one area and all of our best leaders and our best teachers have feet of clay. I mean, all of them do. Um, And so, so absolutely, just because you've been blessed by someone's ministry, my ministry, some author, whatever. Good grief, um we're going to make mistakes we're gonna, we're going make we're going fail and so no, do not what we're doing here with Jesus, do not do with any man no, no amen. well said, yes, hallelujah um, any anybody else anything The good news, I don't think we're in much danger of people doing that with me, but you never know. <laughs> Well, that's one of the nice things, about so having been here for 18 years and showing up as the associate, I think you guys have a much more realistic impression of my strengths and weaknesses, and I don't think there's anyone here who thinks I'm the magic man. Um, yeah, people are nodding, like, no, we don't, like, yeah, okay, good, good, amen. Okay, um, we got 10 or 15 minutes. Any other, any other thoughts or questions? Anything else? Oh, Jennifer.
2: I I just wanted um, to add this. I loved your comment that you said that nothing that we can say is either gonna send someone to hell or not. That it's not up to us. Yes, we plant the seeds. But the thing is, is I I know personally, sometimes I am held back from witnessing because I sit there and I think, Wonder if I don't know the answer to that or what happens if I um, Happen to misquote scripture or Mm -hmm. something like that so that hit home to me Um, I Guess what we have to do is have a willing heart and say Lord use me the way the way you see fit and Let me bring glory to you and not my words, but your words
0: well and, and, and And if we can get off the notion that our arguments are decisive, it'll also free us to say we don't know because we're told to study to show ourselves approved. And so if I talk to someone and I try to talk with the faith of someone and they ask me questions I don't have answers to that I should have answers to, well, fair enough. I can feel a certain amount of shame. I can feel a certain amount of like, okay. Um, But that someone, it'll always be the case that someone will be able to ask you or me a question we don't have an answer to. And again, because ultimately the cleverness, the wisdom of our answers isn't going to be decisive. We should feel free to be like, yeah, I don't know. Let me look into that and get back to you. Like that that should be the easiest thing for us to say. It's a good question. Let me get back to you. Um, and, and it's only because I think my answers are so decisively important that I would, well, I don't want to be in a scenario where I don't have an answer. Um... Now, let me show you what we can, our guilt is. It, it's not a light thing. We need to open our mouths. Go to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22. Um, is it 22? I think it's 22. No, it's not 22. Hold on. Is it 18? I think it's 18. I tried looking it up on my phone, but... Um, yeah. Um, hold on there. I'm going to check in Acts real fast. 18. Is it 18? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, 20. Well, I want the part where he says but you'll be guilty of his blood if you don't warn him. Because Paul quotes that in Acts. Innocent, hold on a sec, just innocent blood. Innocent. Is it 22? Uh, no, just give me one second. Uh, innocent, give me one sec here, blood, um, because Paul quotes in Acts 18, okay, there it is, so then that gives me the reference to, uh, Ezekiel 18, okay, 1813, okay, no, um, nope, not 1813, hold on, Ezekiel, is it 33, okay, I think it's 33, sorry, sorry, um, Hold on, hold on. Give me one second. I'll find this. Um, No, it's Ezekiel 33. Okay. Chapter 33. So, my point is, the good news is someone's eternal destination in heaven and hell will not ultimately be laid at your feet. Which also means you can't take the credit for it. Uh, When I worked at a Christian summer camp, um, one of the counselors told the director, Jeremy, save someone last night. I said, I am not the Holy Spirit, Uh, but the stakes can still be high. These are the stakes. Ezekiel 33, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword against a land, the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes upon and takes any one of them away that person will be taken away in his iniquity but his blood i will require at the watchman's hand so you son of man i've made a watchman for the house of israel whenever you hear a word from my mouth and you shall give them warning from me if i say to the wicked a wicked one you shall surely die and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn away to turn from his way that wicked person will die in his iniquity but his blood i will require at your hand And if you warn the wicked to turn away from his way, and he will not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Okay, now go to Acts 18, unless you think, okay, that's just particular for Ezekiel. Paul cites this twice, Acts 18 and in Acts 20, 18-6, 5-6. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And then look at uh, Acts 20, 26. Let's start in verse 25, Acts 20:25. 20, and now behold, I know that none among you that I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So just because someone won't ultimately be in hell because I was unfaithful doesn't mean the stakes aren't high. Um, Paul taking this principle says look I, I understand that if I'm not faithful to warn people their blood can be on me um, and so don't hear me say it's a small thing whether or not you open your mouth and share the gospel um, just because it's not the most important thing God will use rocks if he needs to God can send angels God can have animals talk if he needs to I can't thwart his will still it can be woe well unto me if I don't I can be guilty of the blood of others uh, or I can be innocent of the blood of others. but but Paul taking that principle into the New Testament makes it clear to some degree that's that's applicable. So um, yeah, yeah. but but taking the comfort in the fact that it's not ultimately on me. One other passage that uh, that I'll point to is second Timothy two twenty four, uh, which I think balances this out nicely. Second um, 2 Timothy 2.24 on what, what side of the equation my responsibility is and where the responsibility for their response is. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may Perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will so God claims decisive control over the gift of repentance if they repent is ultimately perhaps God will grant them repentance what am I on the hook for I must not be quarrelsome I must be kind, I must be able to teach, I must be willing to patiently endure evil, I must correct with gentleness. And so it means that I could do all of that and they could not listen and I've been faithful. I could also fail to do that. I could be quarrelsome and I could be unwilling to be mistreated and I could be a jerk and God might grant them repentance anyways. And, and I can't conclude I've been done a good job. What? Jonah, right? Yeah, and Jonah, uh, thirty days, and they re- revival. You know, like man, what an amazing preacher Jonah was. No, that's not the point, right? Which mean, no, which what that means is I can't conclude anything about my faithfulness by the results. If this church is growing, doesn't mean I or the elders are necessarily doing a good job. If this church is shrinking, doesn't necessarily mean we're doing a bad job. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. How long did it take him to build the ark? 120 years is that right 120 years at most his sons and their wives were converts at most he had six people 120 year gospel ministry at most six people I mean throw his wife in at most seven people converted under his ministry (laughs) who wants to call Noah a failure who wants to say Jonah was an amazing success now God's purposes through Jonah were amazingly successful but Joan is no model of ministry, you know. Um, so, so we don't get to conclude anything about our faithfulness by the results. God's sovereign of the results. Our faithfulness stands or falls to whether or not we're obedient. Um, so don't look at Joel Olstein and think, man, that guy must be really faithful. The size of his church tells you nothing about his faithfulness. Just like the size of this church tells you nothing about mine or the elders' faithfulness. God God can do as he pleases. Zeb, need some microphone.
1: So just on that on that topic of the issue of faithfulness and yeah. accuracy, there was a very significant period of time in the early church where Arianism was the vast majority, yeah. the vast majority oh, yeah. of Christian of quote Many unquote, times Christianity did
0: they exile Athanasius? like
1: 6 Se- 7 I yeah, want to yeah. say yeah, yeah. but I mean yeah there was uh it, it was literally yeah Athanasius is a hero of mine um, in large part because he was basically the only notable and a bishop A couple of
0: times he was the only guy He was the he was the
1: yeah. the sole bishop who stood for for the deity of Christ right. um right. so like th- yeah there's popularity has right. nothing to do in fact it's almost a, it's a there's a pretty strong case you can well, make it and
0: speak well of you someone said right yep <laughs> no exactly okay cool on that note we'll close out i'll stick around for a few more minutes and uh, uh adam do we have another minute sorry are we early okay i said you can go you guys do ha- take that extra minute and enjoy it god bless